Welcome to AFL by Dummies, and let's discuss the week that was. The Saints fought hard like Maddie all the way up until the first bounce, where they then fought like me having picked a fight with three guys in an alley. Collingwood stamped their authority on the top four, while Scott Pendlebury stamped his authority on a pigeon. Magpie versus pigeon, no shocker as to who won that one. Sydney decided they haven't had a holiday in a while and booked their September vacation a few months early with a loss to the Gold Coast. Essendon beat Fremantle. Moving on. Hugh Greenwood, who I don't know if you know, he has a basketball background, led Adelaide to a close five-point <laughs> win over the Lions with his four goals. Zach Tui kicked a goal after the siren to steal a win for Geelong, saying, the forwards make it look so much harder than it is, except in an Irish accent. I wish somebody would explain it to St Kilda. Hawthorne beat Carlton. Meanwhile, Kennedy, darling, you have to stop hurting the Sheed teams, otherwise they won't play with you. The power suffered a loss to the Giants that jeopardizes their final chances. No jokes there. I'm just genuinely interested in that one. And that is the week that was joining me this week, the big bad boy himself. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, it's been a big week in footy. Um, uh, stamped his authority on a pigeon, obviously the highlight out of that one. Speaking of my highlight of the week, it has to be from the Brisbane-Adelaide game, actually, and uh, two mark of the year contenders within 15 seconds of each other. You have Josh Walker, Adelaide's kicking it out from defensive 50, and Josh Walker comes and flies on and basically goes horizontal in the air. That's the only way I can describe it takes it at full stretch and then he kicks it inside 50 and the young gun number one draft pick cam rayner clunks a contested mark which is a great mark as well but in my opinion not as good as the josh walker one i would take that one as mark of the year so far you and i have had a good laugh about this but when you were picking players at the start of this round as to who was going to take a potential mark of the year how high would josh walker have been in your rankings to be fair i just about forgot he existed (laughs) he'd had a good few weeks not that good he didn't even have that great a game, but he's going to win Mark of the Year. He could be the biggest nobody to win Mark of the Year in a long time. I certainly think he'll give Jeremy Howe a good run for his money. You're going to kick us off this week with your first joke. What have you got for us? At the West Coast Western Bulldogs game on the weekend, a fantastic game. You know, really got the finals feeling going. Unfortunately, Honeychurch collided with uh, Shannon Hearn at one point. Honeychurch was going to pick up the ball and his head just went into Shannon Hearn's hip, unfortunately. And uh, he injured his neck quite badly from that. They actually haven't figured out to what extent it's been injured at this point in time. Now, you would have hoped that that would have been the end of the pain for uh, Mitch Honeychurch. But no, the video operators at Optus Stadium had more in for him than that. They showed footage of the crowd laughing, joking, and waving. <laughs> Are you actually kidding me? Like, genuinely, first of all, how can the crowd be so happy? I don't care that he's an away player, and I don't care that you're one of the most rowdy fan bases in all of Australia. This man has hurt his neck and back. That's quite serious. I think it's called a spinal injury, but you don't really need your spine for life, do you? Not Or for walking. No, 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 none of that. Anyways, they're not my real issue. That was a little annoying, but my real issue has to be with these bloody video operators who have now made the score review umpires seem like fast-thinking, well-thought-out individuals. (laughs) I mean, what the hell happens when you chuck these bloody people behind a screen at the footy? Do they suddenly lose all sense of intelligence? Are they usually this ridiculous? Is this hush money at play? (laughs) Literally, there's only two things worse that you could have done. 
one, show the injury over and over and over and over and over <laughs> and over and over like they do on the TV, and two, show Leo Barry's mark. <laughs> Those are literally the only two things you could have done worse. But in defence of that second one, Leo Barry is a star. <laughs> yeah, but not in Western Australia, Alex. I wouldn't be playing that in Western Australia. Like, whoever is in charge of the video operator there, like Hosier, needs to be taken to Honeychurch. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I guess I'm just really upset because not even um, Honeychurch's teammates had his back. Like, he was lying there on the ground so, and none of them really came to him because they didn't realise how serious it was. So, really, the only person who had his back was Shannon Hearn, but it was for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he had his knee in his back. <laughs> yeah, something like that. That's a pretty good start from you. Pretty impressed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the first statistic of the round, and I'm going to talk about key forwards. So I thought about talking about Tom Hawkins, uh, firstly, because he had an absolutely dominant performance and was instrumental in Geelong's win over Melbourne. thought about talking about Jack Rewalt, who's been fantastic for Richmond over the last few months and been a massive part of their premiership side. thought about talking about Ben Brown. And then, you know what I realised? Key forwards are actually having an okay time at the moment. We've got this big push to try and bring key forwards back into the game. We already touched on this once earlier this year, but I think key forwards are actually doing okay. So I look, had a brief look at key forwards and how they're doing in the game. So the argument being that they're not kicking as many goals as they did in the past, you know, when um, the likes of Jason Dunstall, Gary Ablett Sr. would kick 130 goals in a season. We're not going to reach that point again. The game is way gone past that, but... If you look at which forwards are having the most dominance, it's key forwards. So of the top 10 goal kickers in the AFL this season, nine of them are key forwards. Only one is even a smallish forward, and that's Luke, Luke Bruce. Bruce. Yeah. The second the second shortest player there is Jack Rewall. Like, we're talking about big boys here. The next interesting part for me is that of those nine out of the 10, all of them come from the top, t- top 10 sides in the competition. Now, that could partially be a factor that the top 10 sides kick the most goals, but it's also that the fact that if you have a key forward who is dominant, it allows you to be a dominant side. Now, I understand that Richmond has this new game plan where they play with small forwards around, but it doesn't change the fact that they have Jack Rewalt, who is a key forward, who is fifth leading goal kicker in the competition right now with 41 goals. He's actually equal third with Luke Bruce and Tom Hawkins. And if we have a look at where the rest of those nine players come from, right, Ben Brown's North Melbourne sits in 10th. Lance Franklin's Sydney sits in 5th, I believe. Tom Hawkins' Geelong sits in 8th. Jack Rewalt's Richmond's at the top of the table. Uh, Jesse Hogan and Tom McDonald are both represented from Melbourne. Jeremy Cameron is on the list for the GWS that are doing so well. And the most important part for me is Josh Kennedy and Jack Darling, who have each kicked 34 goals this season, despite each having missed large amounts of games, are both in the top 10 and two players represented from the second best side in the competition in West Coast. Now, what does that say to you um, about key fours in the competition? I understand that Richmond is one way of going about it and Collingwood have kind of also gone down that mould. They are not represented in this top 10 list. But I think it's very interesting that you see these key forwards having such a direct correlation between the results of some sides in the competition. So when teams are going to be targeting Tom Lynch at the end of the season, which we know they will be Richmond, Collingwood, I think it's well worth it. If you can get yourself an absolute gun, people have talked about throwing out the key pillars of the side out of the competition. I think it's definitely still worth it. And Tom Lynch, very important player. Tom Lynch will be worth it. Whatever price you pay, if he's invested in that club, 
he will be worth it. I think why big forwards are so important these days, it's not even just for the goals they kick. It's that a lot of teams have to kick up and down the line these days. It's just how well defences are set up. And if you've got nothing to kick to down the line, you're never going to get it inside 50 to kick those goals in the end. So it works two ways, having really awesome key forwards like that. Um, obviously, Richmond doing it a bit differently, but Jackery Walt is an exception rather than the rule. I think he's one of the best forwards that we've had in the last 10 years. Yeah, and I think the the change is less about getting rid of key forwards and moving to more small forwards and just adding dimension to key forwards. So in the past, they could just be big, tall boys that didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to be mobile. And I think that's the change now, is you still want key forwards, you still want the likes of Tom Lynch and Jack Rewald, you just need them to be able to play on the ground as well. And yep. that's what Buddy has always done well that's made him the most damaging player in the competition for so long was that, yeah, he could kick you four goals from outside 50 having been hit up on a lead. But also, he's the kind of player that when the ball hits the ground, he's incredibly dangerous. So I think that is the future of key forwards and that is the reason they are still incredibly important in the competition. Fair enough. Now you've got a joke for us. I think you're going to like this one. So we got news yesterday that Jeremy McGovern has signed on to West Coast for a new six-year deal, reportedly at $1.2 million a year. That's a fair pay for him. How are you feeling about this? Do you think he's worth it? $1.2 million? Yep. No. See, I don't know. I'm, I'm very iffy because I think Jeremy McGovern's next on player, arguably the second best defender in the league after Alex Rance, of course. So I think well worth the discussion. But I thought, you know, six years at $1.2 a year, that'll get you, what, seven, seven and a half million? What instead could you do with seven, seven and a half million? I thought, why not instead have your own country? So I've created a step-by-step guide of how should you manage to acquire seven to seven and a half million, hint, hint, West Coast or the sides that we're going to spend money on McGovern that now can't, why not build your own country and therefore you can have your own AFL league in True. your country. Um, but that's that's further down the line. First, I want to get the fundamentals of building a country. So let's start with, you're going to need land, right? So you're going to buy several islands. Now, islands ranging costs, you can get some in like the um, South China Sea for around about like couple hundred thousand each. So if you, if you were to buy- Would you really want to buy an island in the South China Sea at the moment though? Legitimate point, but moving on. <laughs> That's probably um, why there are a couple hundred thousand dollars. You could, uh, the, the region, I'm not saying specifically there, the, the region, you could get a couple islands for, you know, grand total of, around, let's say about a million bucks, right? Okay. So there's a million of your seven spent. Now, you got to have a military. Each nation has to have a military. So you're going to buy an M1 Abrams battle tank, and this will cost you about $1 million, and you're just going to sit the tank down on one of the islands, and um, that'll Hope. be your military. <laughs> yeah. That'll be your military force. Every, every country needs a population. Now, convincing people to come over and live in your country, difficult. So instead, we're going to purchase a population. <laughs> Slaves aren't that expensive. Oh, yeah. Slaves cost around about approximately $1,000 a slave. So you're going to buy 100 slaves for about a million dollars. They can do everything from arm your tank to like everything else you need of them. We don't endorse human trafficking, but if you were to buy a country, probably a necessary step. Just Are you going to double them up to uh, build your infrastructure as well? Well, we'll get to that in a second. How are you going to get all this infrastructure over? Well, you're going to need a navy, especially if you're working in islands. Navy is very important. You can buy a cargo ship for like a million bucks, like not that expensive. Maybe if you're lucky, you get 
get as low down as 500,000. So you buy yourself a cargo ship, move everything across, and you're going to need a cargo ship when you're transporting all of the portable buildings you're buying. You could buy portable buildings for like 10,000 a pop, plop them on your islands, fill them with slaves. You've got yourself a population. Have we gone over budget yet? Not quite. I think I... Okay. (laughs) Finally, um, I think that it's important that every nation has... um, We've talked about uh, military... Education is really easy. You just take one of the buildings, you just pay one of the slaves to teach one of the other slaves something, and technically that's an education system. Um, what <laughs> <laughs> technically. <laughs> you need a medical system. So you can buy like a proper hospital bed with all of the gear and everything for about $5,000. So you just buy one. And so therefore, each of the slaves can take their turn to be sick one at a time, spend you know the few days in the hospital bed with what the most well-equipped slave can be the doctor, when it comes to medicine. and So it's technically a... It's uh, technically a hospital. So yeah. you've got a medical system. So that is how my step-by-step guide of how you could, instead of buying Jeremy McGovern, you could build your own country. Yeah. And what about the league? Oh, yeah. We'll get to that down the line. You've got you to gotta start with the basics. So, I mean, you can start having your own league. I don't like... know about you, but AFL league is pretty high up there on the priorities. Who needs a healthcare needs, system when you can have a... Who needs an M1 Abrams battle tank? <laughs> Everyone, everyone needs a battle tank. Are you going to keep the tank secure? No, I what was, if you I, start an uprising? I was thinking, well, because you've got, you've got the where are the slaves going to go? They may as well just like follow your orders. You've just plopped them down. In yeah, the but of if an they island. got the tank, <laughs> yeah, of course they've got the tank. They have to defend the islands. Yeah, and if they turn on you, and do what? How are they you? turning on me? <laughs> I'm not going to the islands. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my bad. Yeah, Again, this is, this is all hypothetical. I would never do such a thing if anybody has access I'm to I'm glad we clarified that it was hypothetical. I was yeah. starting to get worried that you had $7.5 million up your sleeve. And definitely not 100 slaves. Oh, actually, this is a good breeding ground for AFLX. Literally. Um, <laughs> we're going to need an increase in population. Um, if anyone was wondering about that... I'm sure it. there was a massive demand for how to build your own country in six quick, easy steps. <laughs> so if I put that in Google, like massive demand for how to build, it comes up with a guest below. Well, see, I did a lot of research into can I buy a country? And you'd be surprised how many people are searching can I buy a country without any actual websites of like how to buy like Albania or something. Yeah. Well, actually, this is the most important question. What would you call the country? I was... I. <sighs> Well, here's the thing, right? We're not getting Jeremy McGovern, so we're getting a Jeremy McGovern substitute. So it's discount Jeremy McGovern. Tom Brass. <laughs> so we'll call it Brassland. 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 Yeah. Or you could call it, like, Embarrassing Island. <laughs> <laughs> but in other news, you have a statistic for us. So I'm going to talk about Mitch McGovern. Oh, from one McGovern to another. Yeah. Mitch McGovern played his first game back on the weekend. Um, would you say that is a very key part of what they need to go well for them to make finals? Um, I wouldn't say he's the most key part, but I think, you know, a fit Mitch McGovern's definitely very helpful. Yeah. So he's been out for um, 10 weeks now, and um, he's a fantastic player when he's playing at his best, played really well in the finals last year. But, like, he hadn't played a Sanafel game. So he's coming back from a 10-week injury, hadn't played a Santa Fe game at all. Now, this is the same club that stuffed up Rory Sloan earlier in the year. They brought him back a week early and they cost him about six weeks, I think it was, with a foot injury. 
So at halftime, he had one tackle for the entire game. He hadn't had a disposal. He hadn't had anything else. Not a not even a one percent, Alex. Ouch. Just one tackle. I got to ask some serious questions of this Adelaide Football Club. What is going on there? And we're going to lead it on to our next discussion that we have because sometimes people are just getting brought back way too early. Now, he didn't injure himself in the end, and he had an okay second half. Um, he still only kicked two behinds for the match. But, like, what is it with this rushing people back? You've literally had one of your best players rush back earlier in the year, and it cost you four weeks. I mean, this man's obviously not ready for AFL, and he's one of your more talented players, and you're just going to rush him back? I oh, know this. This annoyed me a little bit. It's it's like that. Um, the side, what do you call it? The um, the fencing at Eddie had and the MCG and at Optus that got everyone. Um, they got all the cuts off it that it just wasn't fixed. It's still not fixed for the record. It's just like, well, I mean, this is a player's health, and you can't just throw it out there because you need to win a game against Brisbane. I feel like if Adelaide are going to make finals, they should be able to beat Brisbane without Mitch McGovern. Yeah. I think you make a strong case. Players' health is definitely something I've been thinking about a bit more recently, um, which is why we're going to move on to our discussion point this week, which is on concussion. Um, and this week, we saw the retirement of Kobe Stevens. Um, you know, not your A-grade superstar Gary Ablett-type person that's not going to grab the headlines, but, um, you know, uh, a warrior across three clubs, including my own. And I think there are some serious concerns now about what concussion is doing to players in the AFL um, we've talked about it in the NFL um, over a long time, been serious consequences over there, and I think now maybe we're starting to understand it. So let's briefly look at Kobe Stevens before we before we move on. Kobe Stevens has had eight concussions over his career. Um, that, I mean, those are massive numbers. Like, that is just so much repeated head trauma. Um, in In the article that spoke of his retirement, he spoke about the fact that due to these repeated concussions, it's making it difficult for him to have an elevated heart rate without there being consequences. Yeah. It's elevated for him, um, problem for him to be able to walk upstairs without there being consequences. Like we're talking about fundamental things of life that are being severely destroyed because of the fact that the the guy's played footy for his life and has been told to play hard at the ball. Um, and when he was recruited to St Kilda, part of the message was simply that, was that, you know, getting ourselves a new midfielder, he's not the most skillful player in the competition, but he's a hard nut, you know? He puts his body on the line. And we cherish that as something in football. And I'm starting to wonder whether or not that's coming at it at a cost. What are your thoughts on the retirement of Kobe Stevens and the impact of concussion in AFL football right now? Well, I'm just going to go back a little bit. There was that um, report published last year from the NFL, and they went to 121, I believe it was, retired NFL athletes and tested them to see the effects of concussion. 120 of the 121 had side effects of repeated concussions and head trauma. And it's just staggering numbers. And you see in the NFL, they all wear ridiculous like kits to make sure that you know they reduce the impact of getting hit to the head and everywhere on their body. Whereas in AFL, they go at bare, basically. You very rarely see helmets. And that's something that's a big problem with me because I think there is a stigma, a negative stigma about wearing a helmet that you get called soft. And I think it's ridiculous because you're not soft. You're just making sure that you reduce the chance of, you know, not being able to walk upstairs later in your life. 
And Caleb Daniel is one of the people who does wear a head, um, a helmet, sorry. And I feel like, like when he started wearing that, commentators even were a little condescending of it. And they weren't saying it was bad or anything. Um, it was just a little condescending. And that's sort of the stigma I've talked about before. More people should be wearing them. And the helmets should probably be better. Like, the helmets don't look like that much. I'm confused why Kobe Stevens retired this week. And yes, it was because of concussion, but concussion hasn't come up as a big talking point whatsoever. And it's something that should have come up as a big talking point because these are people's lives. Sure, they're getting paid a lot of money to do it, but I mean, the price of a life, 50,000 people died in 2010 in America because of concussion symptoms and other brain trauma injuries. Like, it happens. It's not completely unrealistic for people to die. Yeah, just on that part of Kobe Stevens' issue was that he was knocked out in round one this season and he told the doctors that he was fine and ready to go the next week and he lied to them about the fact he'd been experiencing symptoms of uh, delayed concussion, um, went out the next week and, you know, played the game at well below his capacity, was dropped as a result and at that point, you know, came clean about what he'd been experiencing and these delayed concussion symptoms were, you know, Something that we don't really talk about that often, but I mean, Harris Andrews over the last few weeks, we talked about how to bleed on the brain. Like, actually think about that for a second. His brain is bleeding. That's probably not a good sign. There have been several other people that have had, you know, serious issues over the last few years in the AFL alone. Um, Liam Pickens, one we got to talk about. Uh, a, a guy who is lauded for his courage. One of the most tough players in the AFL was absolutely heroic in the Western Bulldogs grand final win and finals campaign of 2016 and the guy hasn't played a game this year because of concussion that's not a wow he broke his leg or something and there's an obvious reason why he can't play this is a serious debilitating injury that we're not really worried about and the, the likelihood is that there's a potential that Liam Pinkham will never come back and he'll never get to play a game again. And that's aside from the long-term consequences to him and his family and his children um, and what that's going to do to him. I mean, we, we haven't even talked about Patrick McCartan, who you know received all of the attention of being number one draft pick and himself has had, I think it's something like six concussions over the last four years. Don't fact-check me on that one. And what that's doing to him, I mean, he's still young. Kobe Stevens is 27 when he retired. McCartan's only like 23 24. Pickens 31. Yeah. A lot of us look at like the end of a player's career as like, well, it's okay now. But like if Liam Pickens, well, Kobe Stevens, you said was 28. So 28. 27. Yeah. 27. I mean, he still has, he's like a third of a ways through his life. If that, he's still got so much time in his life to do so many things other than football. And they could all be potentially affected by the fact that He's had this many concussions and nothing's been done about it. Like, that's the reality. Like, people are starting to talk about it more, but nothing's been done about it. No one, no players' organisations say, no, everyone has to wear helmets. No one's saying that we have to have less... Well, they are talking about having less congestion, but I, something tells me that won't solve the issue. It's a bit deeper than that. And so to wrap this discussion up, I think we're not doctors. Um, it's not... It's not our place to say, you know, you can't do this, you can do this. Um, and I think there should be more of a, there should be more listening to actual doctors over what can be done to help prevent this. Um, something like, you know, increasing use of helmets in the AFL is like an obvious, easy solution, at least a little bit 
hopefully we can look at that. Um, but hopefully if we can just get a little more discussion going on about concussions are a thing, what are we going to do about them? Because a broken leg heals, you know, a broken arm heals, you can knee dislocation heals, whatever. You do long-term damage to your brain, that doesn't heal and you will be severely impacted for the rest of your life. So let's talk about it a bit more, folks. And let's move on to a little bit of a lighter segment after that yeah. intense discussion. <laughs> I realize you've made my job really difficult for me here. Nah, see, I'm feeling pretty good. I reckon you're going to have some excellent comedy coming up for us in what is the world-famous Lachlan Ross segment, Punching Down. This is Punching Down. I'm going to talk about animal rights here. Everyone's going mad about this pigeon bounce that uh, Scott Pendlebury did on the weekend. And this disappoints me from numerous angles, Alex. Not just one, but numerous angles. Firstly, what does our game come to that the only thing that gets attention worldwide is animal abuse? (laughs) Surely we have other highlights in our game that can get worldwide attention. Secondly, where was Peter's response to this horrific act? Scott Pendlebury should be held to ransom, I tell you. To ransom? Yep. But, I mean, they didn't come out and say anything. So that leads me to believe that it's actually Pendlebury's excuse for torture of avians. <laughs> so shame on you, Peter, and shame on you, the world. Anyway, Nan Curvis. On the weekend, Brian Taylor was doing his infamous Roaming Brian, which, by the way, is basically just proof that all you need is a big mouth and you can get anywhere on live television. BT approached Toby Nan Curvis and got the best don't argue I think you'll ever see. Dusty would be jealous of this one. BT's just interviewed Cochin. And then he goes to ask Nan Curvis a question as he walks up to him. Nan Curvis turns around, stares him down and walks away. (laughs) (laughs) This is what live television should be. What baffles me is how confused BT was afterwards. I don't know about you, but if someone who has called Harry Taylor a big on live air approached me, I'd just run. There's nothing I'd want to say to that man. Or if someone had insulted not only a colleague, but also that colleague's parents by saying, I don't want to offend his parents or his upbringing, but he looks gay on radio, I wouldn't really want to converse with that man. Heck, I wouldn't even have this man on live television or radio ever again, but maybe it's just a boys club. Now, Sydney, we need to talk. (laughs) We need to have a serious chat right here. You're at home on the weekend. You're playing a team that's lost 11 in a row. That team is from the highly successful sporting area that is the Gold Coast. Furthermore, you're up by 29 at quarter time. Things are looking good. And you lost! (laughs) And not even just that, you lost by four goals. And don't complain about the cost of living allowance not being adequate enough. The only thing you're getting is a cost of being allowance. And on top of that, Sydney is infamous for playing for each other and playing for these teammates and having each other's back. Well, you guys got smashed in the 1% count. It's time to bring Melikan back. <laughs> Melikan played for his teammates. But even worse than not having Melikan play and losing to the Gold Coast, you made Lockie Weller seem like a legitimate trade option for the number two pick. That is just something that should never happen in the AFL. Not good enough, Sydney. I expect better. That was punching down. I, I'm in total agreement on the Lockie Weller aspect. <laughs> Lockie Weller is oh, he's, a, he's a good footballer, don't get me wrong, but... Not a uh, number two not draft. A, not a number two pick. Fremantle just looked at that and went, all of our dreams have come true. Uh, it's another solid punching down from you. I'm really starting to enjoy this weekly segment. Yeah. Now, 
uh, we're going to cross to our award-winning journalist, Alex Henry. What's the breaking news from this week? Well, I've got all the scoops for you this week. Some great scoops. Let's talk about all the scoops. Right. Whilst much... <laughs> Are you working at an ice cream store? <laughs> I got all the scoops oh, Fresh scoops. <laughs> Vanilla, chocolate, cookies and cream. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, whilst much news has been made of whether or not Carlton will receive a compensation pick, new information has arisen on Carlton being the worst side in history. A legion of the worst sides in history have welcomed Carlton into their ranks. The leader of the group, the Nazis of World War II, have said in a press conference, we feel that they are horrible enough to match it with the worst of history. <laughs> so, great news for Carlton fans there. They've finally gotten some entrance into a prestigious club. In other, <laughs> in other news, with all the debate on starting positions, Sam Newman has put forward a different rule change that is sure to spark debate. The footy show host suggested that if teams set the ball on fire, then they will get more points. He's quoted as saying it would literally set the competition a light and provide some much needed excitement for the game. <laughs> Everybody else has been quoted as saying no. <laughs> but here at AFL by Dummies? Oh, of course, we are in total support of Sam Newman's position. <laughs> Final news this week. There has been much debate over segregation of fans. And as an award-winning journalist, I'm entitled to an opinion that is in no way deliberately provocative. I think we should actually make some fans wear armbands to distinguish them. You could even have teams wearing the colours of their teams. So North Melbourne would wear light blue armbands on white. I'm sure this type of segregation will lead to no problems in the future. It just have proper identification. Yeah. And we could determinate between different people of different classes and definitely in no way racially prejudice them and definitely not execute some of them. <laughs> no, that's never happened no. in like the history of mankind. No, no, not once. So, you know, that's all there is in the news this week. Well, thank you uh, to our award and winning journalists there, bringing you the latest scoop. <laughs> Scoops. Plural. Anyway, we should probably do our tips now. Speaking of something that's not our fave, <laughs> let's get to tipping. I feel like we should say this from last week, but we both got that Port GWS tip wrong. Because, well, I mean, I tip both teams to win and you tip <laughs> both teams to lose, and GWS clearly won. In my defence, Port did almost enough losing for both of the teams. Good Friday night clash this week, or an intriguing one, I should say. Uh, Essendon versus Sydney at Etihad. Sydney's been very good away from home, um, and Essendon's been pretty good at Etihad, so what's going to happen this week? Having lost the Gold Coast on the weekend, this has suddenly become a do-or-die game for Sydney after what looked like um, a pretty casual game. I think they're a good side, and I think they need to win this one, so I will tip Sydney by three goals. Cool, because I was going to go Essendon. I think Essendon just make everything slightly more interesting because they have to win this as well. So do or die for both of them. And uh, one of them's fourth and the other's 11th. <laughs> that's pretty interesting in itself. We move on to the top of the table clash, first versus third. The real clash of the Titans here, and I didn't think I'd be saying that three years ago when we described Richmond versus Collingwood. But here it is, the two of the best three sides in the competition. Your boys are at home at the MCG. Will you be backing them in? Of course. It's at the MCG, which don't lose there. It just doesn't happen. Um Collingwood, I think, are going to give us more of a fright than we thought. But Collingwood's problem with dealing with Richmond will be that they play a similar brand of football. We just play it better. So, like, unless they play their absolute A game, it's just going to be two similar teams going against each other and the better team will naturally win. So that will be Richmond on the day. Who would have thought the better team will actually win? (laughs) Quote me on that. I'm in agreement with you on that one. Uh, Geelong will host Brisbane over at GMHBA Stadium. Geelong... Having won that last gasp game against Melbourne over the weekend, looking to back that up, I'll be backing them in for this one. 
Yeah, but I think Brisbane will give them a bit of trouble, but it'll be Geelong. Giants will then play St Kilda on Saturday afternoon up at Spotless Stadium. Now, I did back St Kilda in to win by 70-something points on the weekend, and they did then lose by 70-something points on the weekend. So what I'm going to do is learn from my mistake and tip St Kilda by 60-something points. Oh, yeah, you're going to slowly make progress. Yeah. So it'll be like 15 games until you get a correct margin. Maybe more than that, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do something different. I'm going to tip a draw for this because this was a draw last time. I kind of want to do a rap again. (laughs) (laughs) Gold Coast will play Carlton and... um... Yeah, Adelaide will play Melbourne. Yeah, uh, Adelaide against Melbourne. That's a great clash. We are just going to ignore the last Yeah, one. yeah. I, I don't care. Cool. Um, Adelaide-Melbourne. <laughs> this is an intriguing clash. Because uh, last time Melbourne went to Adelaide, they played better than Port Adelaide and managed to lose. I think this is a must-win for Adelaide and Melbourne alike. And I think probably the winner stays alive. The other one gets executed, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to question that. Um, Adelaide, I think, will be the side that is victorious in this one at home. Same. North Melbourne will play West Coast on Sunday afternoon. Um, Must win game for North Melbourne to keep their finals chances alive. Meanwhile, West Coast, hot form for them. Who do you think will win this one? This is another just like nightmare game to tip because North Melbourne down at um, Blundstone, a pretty good team. Very hard to beat. And especially if it's windy there, it'll be hard for West Coast forwards to get any sort of presence on the game. West Coast would like to win, though, because that keeps their top two hopes alive. So I'm going to go with West Coast. Yeah, I think it'll be West Coast as well. I'm surprised you tipped to West Coast, given that you have North Melbourne to finish in the top eight. So Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> I did a ladder predictor yesterday. Melbourne and North Melbourne don't make the eight. There'll mm. be two games outside of the eight if I can predict the rest of the year. Obviously, yeah. I just can't tip. Western Bulldogs will host Port Adelaide in the Saturday afternoon game. Port Adelaide's year has suddenly got a lot more interesting with that loss to the Giants over the weekend, having lost to Fremantle. This would be for three in a row should they lose to the Western Bulldogs at Mars Stadium. Um, Who will you be backing on this one? Well, I think that the problem will be the atmosphere there. It's very hard to breathe at Mars. Um, (laughs) There's just not a lot of oxygen, but neither is there any oxygen in the Western Bulldogs season. So (laughs) (laughs) I think we're going to have to go with Port Adelaide. Oh, I think the lack of gravity will bring the Bulldogs back down to earth and um, Port Adelaide will probably get the win on this one. Well, if Bulldogs are brought back to earth, that just leaves Port Adelaide on Mars by themselves. Exactly. So they'll be the only side of the ground and will therefore win. So that's the only way Port Adelaide's ever going to be the best side on a planet. Yeah. And have the best fans on the planet. Yeah. And be in the best city on the planet. No. Even if they're the only city on the planet, there's no way in which I'm giving Adelaide the best city on the planet. Fremantle host Hawthorne in the last game of the round. Another must-win game for Hawthorne and another must-40 possession game for Tom Mitchell. Will he hit the number? I don't know. Oh, we haven't told. Alex and I have a bet. A bet that I'm definitely going to regret by the end of the season. If Tom Mitchell gets 26 or more Brownlow votes, he gets to crack an egg on my head. And if he gets 25 or less, I get to crack two on his head. I'm not looking great at the moment. He's definitely probably polled six in the last two weeks since we did it. And I reckon he'll be getting three more here as Hawthorne easily account for Fremantle. Is Fife back this week? He's roundabout now. I'm going to go with Fremantle. Fremantle are just going to cause so many headaches for sides like Hawthorne coming in, um, especially at Optus Stadium. That's okay. Every time you tip for a side, I just feel so much more confident in my own tipping. For those of us that are genuinely still wondering whether or not we're going to talk about Gold Coast Carlton, we're not. I refuse. I'm sorry, I refuse. It's not going to happen. And with that, we wrap up for the week. (laughs) Uh, Thanks to everyone for listening. You can find us on Facebook and on iTunes. From myself, Chuck, 
and Alex. Have a nice day, everyone.